probably be watching sometime. So we hope everything's going well over there with Lydia getting married and <laughs> hopefully he has a safe trip back. Uh, unfortunately, with him going as long as he is, you're going to have to endure me for two weeks. Let me pray and we're going to jump right in it. Thank you, Father, for the day and thank you for the gift of suffering. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that anything that life throws at us, Lord, you want to use for our good to grow us up, to make us more like you. And I just pray today that uh, you would use this message from my heart to the congregation. In Christ's name, amen. Titled my message today, Ponderings on Suffering. And if you have anything to write with, I'd encourage you to take some notes. Uh, unfortunately, our secretary was sick, and there's no bulletin for you to have a paper in. Uh, but you can... I just realized we don't have a clock back there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I better get mine out. Thirty plus years ago, I was pastoring my first church in North Carolina. My parents lived in Pennsylvania, 500 miles away. And they had just left our home from a visit, I think it was over Easter. And... When they got home, Dad got sick and went to the hospital, and he was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember, like it was yesterday, sitting in the room with the doctor as he came out to tell us what their findings were. And I asked him, how long do you think he's got? And he said, six weeks to three months. And really, up until then, he had no symptoms. He was only 65 years old at the time. By the time they found his cancer, it was in his colon, his stomach, liver, lungs, and brain. And they hit it right on the money. He was dead within three months. Died on the 4th of July. Being 500 miles away was really a difficult thing. Calling all the time, wondering what's going on. He had that brain surgery, and Gail and I and our family went up for that. And then went back home, and later he had a blockage in his intestines, and they had to cut him open, and that one was rough. He ended up being in the hospital about a month, and we finally went up um, to be with him, and my church just said, take as long as you need. And we're in the hospital visiting with my dad, and um, it was really weird. After that surgery, my mom and I went in to see him the day after, they cut him open down the middle. We were so happy to see him awake and everything else. And you can imagine my shock when Dad said, uh, I need to ask you both to leave. He said, I'm sorry, but I am in so much pain that I can't be any kind of company to you right now. I was stunned. My mom was too. We went out in the hall and hugged each other and cried. But actually, that little event incorporated into my ministry for the rest of my life, never visit a person 
in the hospital the day after surgery. Day after is usually the worst. Give them a day or two and then go see them. I always went early with them before they went in, and then I'd give them a couple days before I'd go back to see them again. But at that point, I was only like 39, 40 years old, fit, spry, young, never really suffered with anything that I recall. So I didn't experientially know what that level of pain was like, but I made that my practice going forward just to honor the people. So around October 25th last year, a little over three months ago, I noticed these red blotches on my side. And I had my annual physical right about the time, and I showed my doctor, and she goes, yep, you got shingles. From that day in October up to and including right now, I've been in constant discomfort or pain. Either outright pain, like it's on this side and it goes all the way around from my sternum to my spine, and the nerve must follow that bottom rib. Because a bunch of the time I've just felt like I had a broken rib, and I don't know if anybody's had a broken rib, but that's pretty painful. It's either that or itching. I have a back scrubber in the shower. I go get that thing and just scratch. Or ask Gail, scratch my back, please. The first two months, my pain level was about between a 7 and a 10 on the pain scale, with 10 being the highest. Then my doctor upgraded my medication, and now my pain level is always between 1 and 4. I'm about three and a half this morning. So disclaimer, I don't think for a minute my suffering has been extreme. In fact, one of the realizations I've had during this time, and I told some of you this morning, but my medication, I take it at bedtime and it hypes me up for a while and then it knocks me out. So like last night, I was, I, I'm sleeping on the couch. It's the only place I can be comfortable. Gail didn't kick me out. I'm just, that's the most comfortable place. But last night, uh, about 5 to 12, I got all situated to, to go to sleep, and then I just laid there awake. And it was like I was standing here, and I was looking at you, and I was praying for every one of you. Every name I remembered and every face I remembered and people I know other places that have suffered or are suffering. And I looked at my watch when I said amen. It was 1.11 this morning. And I can tell you, every one of you were prayed for last night and have been. I've prayed more during this time than I've ever prayed I know many of you have suffered worse and longer. I started thinking about people I know. I have a friend that went to Vietnam way back in the day and came back missing a leg, an arm, and an eye. In all these years, he's been suffering. Uh, I know a lady in our church that's 
help me out a little bit with my suffering that's been suffering for over a decade. So I know my suffering is not unique. It's not extreme. Many of you have suffered way worse than I have, but it's my suffering. And I think the Lord always has a purpose for it, and he's allowed me to have this at this time for a reason. He doesn't do anything by accident. He doesn't allow anything by accident. And so I've been praying, Lord, teach me through this and leave it last as long as it needs to last for me to learn what you're trying to teach me. My goal is not to be done suffering. My goal is to know what in the heck he's trying to teach me. So I want to share with you some of my personal observations. Then we're going to take a look at scriptures to see why we suffer. This week we're talking about why we suffer, and next week we're going to talk about how to suffer as a Christian, to honor the Lord through that hard time. It's interesting to me that in this fallen, broken world, God not only allows us to suffer, but he also uses that time to move us forward in our relationship with him. So I was taught to always give people a sermon in a sentence. So when you leave here today, this is like the big takeaway that I want you to remember. Cooperate with God in your suffering. So you may not be suffering today, but hang on, it's coming. Everybody in this life is going to suffer sooner or later. We suffer emotional pain like depression, anxiety, all kinds of other things. We suffer physical pains with handicaps, birth defects, injuries, car accidents, heart attacks, cancer, all kinds of physical ailments in this life. So I would encourage you that when your turn comes, you don't turn bitter or angry or say, hey, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be going through this. Yeah, we're not exempt. We're not exempt. So first, my personal reflections, just from my experience over these three-plus months. The first week, I pretty much sucked it up and lived like normal, even though I had significant pain. I wasn't really sure what I was in for yet, and I just thought, I'll do what I can do and move on. Second thought was that the shingles became full-blown during the next four to six weeks and I could no longer continue. Started missing church. I didn't do anything. I had one place where I found some relief and it was on the couch. Jerry was in my seat yesterday, came to our house to celebrate our 50th. But at that end of the couch, I put a pillow on this side. It seems like pressure against it helps. So I'd have a pillow squeezing me on this side. My back was against the thing. I had another pillow on this side and a pillow in the front, a pillow sandwich. And I sit here like this, putting a little pressure on all of them. And that is the only place where my pain level drops to about a one. So whenever I was forced to go out and do something, all I could think about was getting back to that corner of the couch. I may have been there visibly and physically, 
But in my head, all I wanted to do was get done and get home. I had a stretch where I didn't want to see anyone, talk to anyone. I just wanted to be left alone. It hurt. And I didn't want to answer texts, phone calls, or anything. I just didn't want to be bothered at all. And I don't know if that's offensive or not to anybody, but some of you have experienced that level, I'm sure, and understand what I'm talking about. So sleeping also, the only place I could get comfortable was on the couch because I could lay on my side, squeeze my back against the back of the couch, my sides at the bottom of the couch, hug a pillow in front of me in the front, and have Zoboy at my feet and try to get some rest. But so many hours awake in the middle of the night, in the living room, in the dark, and all I would do was pray. Pray, Lord, teach me. What are you trying to show me? I prayed for you guys so many times. I probably prayed more during these three months than I've ever prayed in my life on a regular basis. Another thing I have done is ask the Lord to show me what he wanted to teach me through this. And then I would go to my computer, sit in the chair, and this is funny, but I'm sitting at my desk, back pressed against the back of the chair, and I'm hugging a pillow over me like this with one arm, and I'm doing my mouth, doing a Bible study with my other hand, studying suffering in the Bible. So I studied every reference. I read every passage in the Scripture that has the word suffering in it. And what I want to show you today is why we suffer. There's, I got nine points. Nine reasons that I uh, discovered the Bible says we suffer. So what I would say and what I'm doing is write these down and ask God to show you out of them. If you're suffering, what's what's he trying to do? Which one of these is the reason I'm suffering right now? So here we go. And I'm going to hit these real quick. I'm not going to elaborate on nine points, um, hopefully. So I'm going to write these on the board. I gave them all to Cindy to put in a bulletin so you wouldn't have to write them down. You could just take the bulletin, but since we didn't have a bulletin. First reason, I'm going to abbreviate these so I don't have to write that much. So the first reason we suffer is consequences of poor choices. God is not a cosmic enabler. He doesn't run around the universe undoing all our dumb stuff. I know that personally. I've done a lot of dumb stuff. He's let me suffer the consequences of it. But that's one reason we suffer. Galatians 6 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. You reap what you sow. So let's say you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you've got like one foot in following Jesus and the other foot in doing whatever you want to do most of the time. 
you're going to create for yourself plenty of opportunities for suffering. Because you're going to go your own way, you're going to make a bunch of dumb choices, and the next thing you know, I think God often uses those consequences of suffering like a fisherman to reel us back home. Because I don't know anybody like suffering. And it's one great way, I think C.S. Lewis said it's God's megaphone. It's his way of getting our attention. Two, some suffer as a test. I think of Abraham having to take his son up as an offering, which was just a test. Job, listen to this. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yeah, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and property, and you have made him prosper in everything he does. I underline that part because I thought God can put a hedge around you. When you are totally sold out to him and you are following him, he can put a hedge around you where you never need your health insurance. Where your family is protected from a lot of stuff that you may have suffered otherwise. I really believe that. Satan says, look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, God says you may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and you know the story of Job. Most of it, he lost basically everything. And his wife says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And that song we sang, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job didn't sin. I could preach on Job sometime, but not today. There's a second time we know it's a test. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had a vision. He had an out-of-body experience, and the Lord revealed to him all kinds of things. And after that, he says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. And when I read that this time, I said, Dagama, he got shingles. Thorn in his flesh right there. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So does God heal everybody? Didn't heal Paul. He heals according to his sovereign will. Some suffer be humbled and I'm from a place that believes that H has a sound not humbled humbled the H is not silent although I looked it up it is proper either way because most southerners say humble 
Anyway, so same passage, Paul said, so to keep me from becoming proud. He was given this opportunity to suffer. Some suffer to learn to have compassion for others. If all you've known is like robust health, like I did almost all my life, I kind of see people gimping around a little bit, and I say, suck it up, buttercup, you know. (laughs) But through this suffering time, many of those dark nights, what I think about is people I know who are suffering and have suffered way worse than I have, and I have way more empathy and compassion when somebody tells me they're suffering. I don't know how many people I ask in the hall today, what's your pain level of people I know in this church who are suffering? 2 Corinthians 5, 5 and 6 says, For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. And even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. He's saying, well, I'm suffering, it's so I can comfort you and your suffering. When we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. So sometimes through suffering, we get softened. And we start realizing our mortality. And we have more compassion for the people around us who are gimping along with us. This one, I don't know what you think, but some suffer from demon attacks. There are many people in the ministry of Jesus that he cast out a demon first and then healed them from their infirmity. Blind, deaf, and dumb, the lady with the internal issues. Uh, but clearly, Job, right, black and white, Satan goes before God, says, let me add him. Uh, Paul, same thing. He said, a messenger from Satan, come to buffet me. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. There is a devil, and there are demons, thousands of them, We don't talk about it much in Baptist churches, but they're up to no good everywhere. Some suffer. I've thought about this a lot since my dad died four years younger than I am right now. Some suffer to prepare us for death. We have such a strong drive. It's our number one drive is survival. Humans want to live. When you start getting my age, I want to live to see my grandkids grow up. I want to see my great-grandkids. I want to grow old with Gail. I don't know that how long we have, you know. But I know a lot of really, really, really strong people, personalities, outgoing. My mom I'm thinking of, she was snow skiing at 84 years old. 
If, if she were alive and came in here, you would all know she was here. Uh, she was a ball of fire. She, her personality was mine turned up about five notches. So I got enough of my dad in me to mellow me, just enough that you guys can tolerate me. But I sat next to my mom on their living room couch April 14th. She did taxes for 60-some years. She had cancer. And our whole family said, watch, she's going to die on April 15th. That's tax deadline day. Her job was done that day. And that night, I sat with her. I have a picture of me holding her hand, just our hands. And when I woke up next to her in the morning, she died. But she had told me going down the stretch that she was ready to go. Her suffering prepared her to leave. That's really a gift. You know, it's way better to say, come on, Lord, I'm ready. Take me than to have this anguish of just, no, I want to stay. I want to I stay here. So I've, I've seen many people die in my day. And almost all of them, unless it was like a heart attack at 50, anybody that's going through any prolonged suffering is being prepared. Uh, if you have a terminal illness, God uses that to get you ready to take you home. Number seven, some suffer simply to bring glory to God. Say, how in the world would me suffering bring glory to God? I think a couple ways. Uh, the scripture on this one is John 9, 1 through 3. Jesus is walking along, saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi's disciples asked him, why, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus said it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So Jesus healed him and was glorified through this guy's suffering. All right, number eight, we're, all, we're doing good. Forget what it was. It's just the nature of life. On a fallen planet. What I mean by fallen. Is after the original creation. And Adam and Eve sinned. Death and suffering was introduced. So I know I did this on one of the question and answer times, but it's one of the most helpful things for me, living life on this planet, going through all the stuff we do. Here was the original creation, the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. Adam and Eve blew it. And now here is the world we live in. And what I want you to know about this is this is not the best world. The world we live in right now is not the best world. It's the best way to the best world. So the best world 
is going to be when there's a new heaven and a new earth and all the believers in Jesus are there with him and it's going to be this earth recreated to be the way it was in the beginning with an added bonus of a heavenly city, uh, some believe hovering right over the earth and we'll have access to go here, there, everywhere. It should be a, a pretty wonderful time, but Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, suffering in this life is really just a common thing. It shouldn't surprise anybody when you suffer. One of the dangers of uh, being a Christian suffering is a lot of Christians walk around with a guilty conscience. We don't really understand fully how God views us and how much he loves us and how much his grace can be poured out on us even when we do the stupidest stuff. How eager he is for us to come back and how eager he is to welcome us back into fellowship with him. All right, last one, 12.01. Todd never quits till 12.20 at least. This last one is some suffer because they need to repent. I've searched my heart over and over during these three months saying, Lord, show me any sin in my life, whether it's causing shingles or not. I don't really care. Right now, what I want to be is right with you. So if there's anything there, you got plenty of time while I'm laying on the couch. Just let me know what it is, and I will repent. Scripture on this is Romans 2, 4. says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? You're alive today. You're breathing. You have a home to live in, I believe. You have income, you have family, you have people who love you. God's been so gracious to us. And if you don't know him today or you're wandering off from him today, can't you see that his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Repentance is turning around, changing your mind, changing your ways. Stop doing what you're doing and start following him. And sometimes even though that verse talks about his kindness, he can come at us both ways. James says, save some by fear, pull them out of the fire. So he's trying to win you through kindness. He's trying to win you through suffering. He doesn't care what it takes. He just wants you to come home. He just wants you to be right with him, to invite Jesus into your life and have him as your travel mate, your companion, your, your savior, your friend, your teacher. So I don't have time to elaborate on any of them. But there's nine biblical reasons why people can be suffering. And it's something that I think we ought to wrestle with. So in conclusion, I found this um, this passage in James chapter 1. says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
Man, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? In the world. I just was diagnosed with cancer. Hallelujah. No, that's <laughs> Man, I'm really struggling with these shingles. Praise the Lord. No. <laughs> Count it all joy. Why? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. From when your endurance is fully developed, you will be complete, needing nothing. Now, don't misuse this verse, James 5, right in that context, if you need wisdom. wisdom. And I believe this request for wisdom is all in the context about suffering. If you want to know what God's doing in your life, why you are suffering, you need wisdom. Ask our generous God. He'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. James 1, 2 through 5. There's one other thing that kind of blew my mind a little bit, but Luke 2.52 says Jesus, as an earthly guy, even though he's 100% God in human flesh, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus grew as a human. And listen to this verse. Hebrews, where is it? Hebrews 5.8, Jesus benefited from his earthly suffering. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. How did Jesus suffer? You could call temptation a form of suffering. He faced every temptation we face, yet without sin. Now, that means Jesus felt the full brunt, 100%, of every temptation. Because the only way you can experience the entire thing is if you don't fail. If I am tempted and I sin, what percentage did I make it through? Well, maybe it was only 50% of the temptation before I folded. If you're uh, spontaneous and what's the other word? means you do things quickly without thinking. Not spontaneous, what is it? Anyway, if you're one of the impulsive. If you're one of those people, you might only get to 20, 25% of the temptation and impulsively you fold. But Jesus benefited through suffering, his earthly sufferings, and we do too. So, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy for you knew, know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask God. I've narrowed the purpose of my sufferings down on the list to number two, a test. Number three, to humble me. Anybody say amen? Some of you think I'm cocky. Number four, to learn. Compassion, empathy. I got a whole bunch of them. 
Number five, to hinder me from serving. Knock me out where I can't influence the men of this church, where I can't lead a K group, where I can't have an influence for Christ. And number eight, just the way it is, you live on this earth, stuff's going to happen. This has not been an emphasis in the two years I've been here, but every church I've been part of has practiced this biblical practice. And while we are suffering, waiting for this, I got two scriptures, I'm going to be done. We're going to have a long invitation. Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth have disappeared. The sea was also gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So while we wait for that day as followers of Jesus Christ and we suffer, before we can get home and allow God to dry the tears from our eyes from all the suffering we've experienced, he's given us something to practice. Number one, kind of let God use your suffering to grow you up. But number two, James 5.13 says, Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should join the choir. No, it says sing praises. Are any of you sick and I will add suffering to that? You should call for the elders or leaders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, if that's God's prerogative at the time. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, Christians, especially Baptists, wrestle with the anointing of oil idea. What? What's the anointing of oil? There's two ideas on that I want to share with you because we're going to practice it here in a minute, and I don't want anybody to be blown away. In their culture, olive oil was used for all kinds of stuff. It was used as a medicinal thing. It was used for anointing new priests and prophets and kings. They used olive oil for all kinds of stuff, so it's only fitting that they would uh, anoint somebody with oil and pray for them. On the other hand, it could be something like if you're familiar with the story of Naaman in the Old Testament, 
who got leprosy, and he went to the prophet Elijah, I believe. I get Elijah and Elisha mixed up what they did. But God told him to go get dunked in the Jordan River and to be dunked seven times, and he would be healed. Now, I read that, and I say, that's dumb. Why, why wasn't one enough? Well, because God said seven. It's kind of like your parents say, because I said so. That's one of these. So I don't want to mess up and say, I don't trust you, Lord, and I'm not going to do something that makes me uncomfortable. But if he says, call for the leaders of the church, have them pray over you and anoint you with oil, I would rather say, like Elijah, if you say seven times, I'll do seven times. If you say, dab their forehead with oil, I'll do it. So we're closing the service today. My invitation is, Logan's going to just play in the background. I've talked to some of our older godly men and asked them to come. You guys can come up on the front row right now. And we have a couple ladies coming, I think, Dorothy and your sidekick coming up. You can come up on this side. You can go ahead and come up now. They both have a little thing of anointing oil. And what I'm asking you is if you are suffering in any capacity, you can just sit there on the front row. Jerry, come over to the guys. I thought it might be more comfortable for a, a lady to be able to go to other ladies. But if there's somebody over here that you're comfortable with, you go wherever you want. But what we're going to do today is just have a little ministry time where these people are going to pray for you. And as you come, all you need to say to them is, here's what I would like you to pray for me about. Here's where I'm suffering. Would you pray for me? And they'll put a little sign of a cross or a dab of oil or whatever they want to put on your forehead, and uh, they'll lay their hands on you, and they're going to pray for your healing. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm getting first in line. I've been thinking about this for some time, about calling for these guys to come and pray for me. So I'll let a couple of you start with me, and some of you wait just in case there's others that come. But if you're suffering and you want to join us, let's give God a chance to show himself big. Let's give him an opportunity to glorify himself through us. He may just give us a nudge of growth through this prayer time. He may heal you. He's capable. It's totally his call. So we're surrendering ourselves to him as sufferers and saying, Lord, we need you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, your counsel. Thank you for this experience you've allowed me to endure. I don't know that I want to endure this for 10 years. But I trust that your grace would be sufficient if that's what you call me to do. But I'm, I'm going to call for the elders of my church and I'm going to ask them to pray for me and anoint me with oil and ask you to heal me. And I hope many others will join me. We'll give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.